All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we're continuing our positional reviews of the Falcons cornerback position, talking about A.J. Terrell's breakout season, as well as taking a deeper look at Dean Pease's schematic tendencies, as well as if the Falcons are looking to make a major upgrade at the cornerback position this offseason. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by the free Get Upside app. You can download Get Upside for free, and when you do, use the promo code TOUCHDOWN and you'll get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. So today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is, of course, our continuing series as we look at each position group and review uh, that group for the 2021 season, as well as look ahead to what the team may do at that position in the 2022 offseason. Uh, and today, of course, we're talking about the cornerback position, and we'll be talking quite a bit about, you know, whether or not Dean Pease's comments at the end of the season uh, mean that the Falcons do want to play a man-heavy scheme. We'll get into that coming up. But before we get there, guys, I do want to thank all of you that make Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, as well as now on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel and give us a like when you do. So uh, talking about the Falcons' uses of man coverage and looking at sort of the big picture um, conversation about what style of defense the Falcons want to play. Um, and, you know, I, I talk about this now at the cornerback group because of my general opinion that contrary to, to the opinion of a lot of folks where when they focus on scheme, they're focusing on like what front you're on three, four versus four, three or whatever the case may be. I think the differences in schemes nowadays in NFL is really about what coverages you run. And so this is, you know, this cornerback group is really indicative. And, you know, when we get to the safeties as well, indicative really the differences between uh, the Falcon schemes and other people's schemes. But we heard at the end of the last season that Dean Pease wanted to improve two things this all season. Right. It was uh, improve the pass rush and improve the man coverage. We already talked about the pass rush when we talked about the edge rush group specifically. Uh, now let's talk about their ability to get better in man coverage. And I think what I've gleaned from a lot of fans from the interactions and conversations I've had is I think they kind of misinterpret what Dean Peace was trying to say, or at least I feel like they're not interpreting it the way I interpret it. Um, where I think they kind of think that the Falcons want to move towards this sort of man heavy, Wink Martindale-esque type of scheme, which is what Wink Martindale ran in Baltimore after Dean Pease's departure there um, and has done for the most part these last couple of years. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with that expectation and that conclusion, because when I look at how the Falcons deployed their defense in 2021, you know, in charting their coverages throughout the season, they never really seemed uh, enthusiastic about playing that way. And when I looked at when the Falcons typically did deploy their man coverage, it was primarily in two situations. It was on third downs and in the red zone. 
And I think when Dean Pease talks about improving the man coverage, it's to improve in those two specific areas where the Falcons were third, 30th in third down efficiency this past year and 24th in red zone efficiency this past year. And we know that Dean Pease likes to play that bin but don't break style that has been the case throughout his NFL tenure and the Falcons, because they couldn't get stops on third downs, they couldn't get stops in the red zone, were bending a lot and breaking a lot. And so I think in order to play that style of defense, they got to get better in those areas. Now, of course, the counter to that argument is that the way, the reason why the Falcons didn't play that way this past year is because they didn't have the personnel to do that. And we know that one of the hallmarks of Dean Pease is he's going to tailor his scheme to his personnel. And it could very well easily mean that if the Falcons do find themselves uh, in a position to take a high level uh, man cover corner to put opposite AJ Terrell, that Dean Pease will make the appropriate adjustment uh, to his scheme. So, while I won't simply outright dismiss it as a possibility, I don't think it's a probability. I don't think that's the path that the Falcons necessarily are intending to go down. And the reason I, I reached this conclusion is that when charting the defense, the Falcons came out of the gates um, early in the season and were playing a high degree of zone coverage through the first seven games of the season. Uh, through week eight, uh, I charted the Falcons as utilizing zone coverage on 72% of their defensive snaps, obviously looking only at pass plays. Uh, and cover two make up the, made up the bulk of those zone coverages with 70% of their zone calls being that cover two uh, defensive shell. And then in week nine, things change. And then for the next uh, couple of games, that four-game stretch from week nine to week 13, the Falcons were primarily a man-heavy defense. Um, and their zone usage uh, fell to 52% during that four-game stretch, and then they went back to much more of a zone-heavy uh, usage from weeks 14 through 16, and then they kind of went back more towards man coverage in the final two games. But when I look at why and how they, they went more to a man-heavy scheme, I think a lot of it can be explained away by situations in, in specific matchups. Like in that Week 9 game, which was the first game that the Falcons primarily utilized man coverage as their majority coverage that was against the saints and they felt probably confident that given the saints having the worst receiver core in the league that they could match up against that weak group of receivers and i think that's kind of the same a similar conclusion that they had in the week 11 game against the patriots and the week 12 game against the jaguars two teams that also didn't necessarily have high end receivers and they felt pretty confident that even with some of the question marks the falcons had at the cornerback position that they could lock down those groups of receivers in man coverage then you had the Week 10 game against the Cowboys, and we learned after the game that Dean Pease basically said that the reason why they went man-heavy was because they had several mental errors in zone coverage early in the game, and he felt like he had to make the adjustment uh, so that they could avoid those mental errors. So clearly their plan was to play more zone defense in that game, but uh, in-game adjustments forced them to play more man in that game. And then you have the Week 13 game against the Bucks, where they also utilize a high degree of man coverage and uh, I talked about this in the crossover in the lead up to that game when I went back and charted the week two game and saw the Falcons got absolutely gashed when they deployed their zone cover two coverages against that Bucks in that week two game. The only coverage that really was effective for them uh, was more of their man coverage, that they were at least decent, comparatively speaking. And so I wondered openly to Locked On Bucks co-host uh, David Harrison, would the Falcons decide to man up the Bucks receivers because it seemed to be a more effective coverage than playing zone against that Bucks team? And that was the case in that game. And of course, the Bucks absolutely obliterated uh, their man coverage, similar to how the Cowboys did. 
Um, and then following that week, after that week 13 Bucks game, they went back to a zone-heavy approach against Carolina week 14. And at the time, if you listen to the podcast, I thought of it was maybe related to the injury to Eric Harris that occurred early in that Carolina game. And over the next three weeks, the Falcons were more of a zone-heavy team. And I thought, oh, it's because they have a different approach with the safety play. But now, looking back and on retrospect, I think a lot of it had to do with that Bucks game where they got absolutely wrecked and shredded in their man coverage. And they basically like, oh, we're done with that. And then in those final two games against Buffalo and New Orleans, where they went with roughly 40% man coverage in both of those games. And so 60% zone. So a little bit more balanced than that, what they had been earlier in the season. Um, I think a lot of that had to do was with the, particularly against the Bills, a lot of their man coverage came in the red zone where, as I mentioned earlier, was predominantly where they deployed uh, a lot more man coverage. But when you look at sort of outside of the red zone, if you just remove those snaps from the, the sample, they ran about zone coverage in that Bills game about 78% of the time outside the red zone. Uh, and then against the Saints, again, because they felt like they could man up that Saints receiver core like they did in week nine, but unfortunately they got absolutely killed by the Saints receivers in that game. Uh, much to our chagrin. Um, and so I think when we look back at it, you know, the reason why we're talking about this is because I think when we go through this offseason and we're going to see a lot of people talking, particularly as we start Mock Draft Mondays next week, you're going to probably see a lot of conversations about whether or not the Falcons could or would target a cornerback at that eighth overall draft selection. And particularly to the guys that are expected to be high picks in this draft, Sauce Gardner from uh, Cincinnati and Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. I don't know if the Falcons are going to be as enamored with those two guys specifically because they seem to be a little bit more press man corners than where the Falcons really want to play. It's not to say that they won't like those players at all, but I don't know if they sort of see those guys as like they can't miss high end corners because they want to be more of that zone heavy cover two heavy scheme that I think ideally they will deploy 50 to 60% of the time. And in, in these sort of press man corners like sauce and stingley may not be as great fits in that. And we'll, we'll circle back to that conversation about some potential options in terms of which type of corners could fit that. But I do think we, we, we need to have the conversation over what style of defense do the Falcons want to play. And, um, you know, that's kind of the conclusion I reached. So when I hear Dean P say we want to get better at man coverage, I think it's hit code for we want to get better on third downs. We want to get better in the red zone, not we want to start being, you know, this press man heavy type of defense that we're just going to go and try to man up guys. Because every other thing I've heard from Dean P's seems to suggest that that's not really the style of play and his overall body of work, whether we're talking about Atlanta and Tennessee and Baltimore, seems to suggest that that's not his sort of default style of play. But uh, we'll just sort of have to see how that plays out. And we'll continue to talk about this quarterback group, talking about the individual pieces that make up this Dean P style defense, starting with AJ Terrell and talking about his breakout season. Uh, but before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that even though the football season is about to end, we only have one more game of football to be played. Uh, BetOnline.net has way more odds and info as uh, this super game uh, dwindles and whatnot. And you can go to betonline.net for the scores, the totals, the player props, you know, who the uh, next coach to be fired and where they may land. BetOnline is the number one spot for all things betting in the NFL. And it's not just the NFL that you can bet on at betonline.net. You can 
bet on basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, uh, and all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. So if you want to get in on some of these Super Bowl props, of course, head over to BetOnline.net, the fastest and easiest way to bet on your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Head to BetOnline where the game starts. So uh, I want to tell you guys about a new app called Get Upside that gives you cash back every time you put gas in your car and can really help you save at the pump. And there's no catch. It's all free. You can download Get Upside for free in the App Store or on Google Play. All you have to do is open up the app, go to one of the thousands of eligible gas stations near you. You claim the offer, you fill up, and they will put money directly into your account. And you can cash out anytime you want with direct payments into your bank account. Bank account. You can use PayPal. I like to get mine on Amazon gift cards. And now when you open a free account on GetUpside and use the special promo code TOUCHDOWN, you get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill-up. So don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Download the free GetUpside app. Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN when you sign up. That's GetUpside promo code TOUCHDOWN to start saving every time you fill up. So let's talk about AJ Terrell. And obviously we know that AJ Terrell had a great 2021 season. He earned second team all pro honors. He was a Pro Bowl snub, uh, but we all know that he was very deserving of being on the Pro Bowl team due to the fact that Pro Football Focus graded him as their second highest graded corner and the second highest graded coverage grade behind Jalen Ramsey this past year. He was PFF's eighth highest graded corner in man coverage. He was their fifth highest graded corner in zone coverage. And he was the only guy that was in top 10 in both. I think he was the only guy in the top 20 in both, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And so the big question is like, how did AJ Terrell make this big jump to go from what was kind of an up and down, but pretty solid rookie season to potentially one of the best corners in the league this past season. And I think we kind of, saw A.J. Terrell play at this level at the end of last season. But before we get exactly into where I'm talking about, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, for these individual players, starting with A.J. Terrell, about how I charted them. And we're going to use success rate against uh, to determine that. And when you sort of to give you a ballpark figure, we talk a lot about on this podcast with success rate in terms of how it values in run defense. But let's give you some sort of context for where we're going to look at it in pass defense. And we look at the last year, I believe the Chiefs were the number one passing offense in the league in terms of success rate. And that was 59% success. Um, and the Giants were dead last with 41% success this past year. And the league average was about 48%. So we'll basically consider anything above average coverage is anything that's below 47%. So in this case, the lower the number, the better uh, for the cornerback. Um, and um, we'll say anything below 47% is above average. Anything below 40% is elite. Uh, you know, good or above average is anywhere in the 40s. Bad would be anything over 50% success rate against. And terrible would be anything over 60% based off of those benchmarks we just outlined with the Chiefs and Giants, et cetera. Uh, so when we look at A.J. Terrell, you know, his uh, success rate against when he was in man coverage this past year based off my charting was 32%, so elite. And in zone, it was 35%, so also Elite, And you compare that to where he was in 2020 in those two areas, where it was 49% against man and 60% against zone. And we go back to that 2020 season 
where we had that three-game stretch where he was asked to be a shadow corner in weeks 13 through 15, going up against the likes of Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, and Mike Evans. And we saw him kind of struggle in that game. But thereafter, uh, when the Falcons basically stopped asking him to play that role, which started at the end of the third quarter in that Bucks game in week 15. So if we look at you know that last quarter against the Bucs, the, week, the court, fourth quarter, and then the two games against the Chiefs and the Bucs in week 16 and 17, so like the last nine quarters, and we look at uh, A.J. Terrell's charting in that, his man coverage uh, success rate was 31%, so basically the same as what it was this past year, and his zone was 43%. So I think we saw kind of glimpses of A.J. Terrell being this elite corner in the final nine quarters of 2020, and we saw that now, of course, over the course of, what, 68 quarters in the course of uh, 2021. So the lingering question with A.J. Terrell is going to be, can he turn into that more of that shadow matchup number one corner uh, that he didn't quite live up to in 2020. And that's sort of the only box that he needs to check in order to truly be uh, considered uh, one of the elite cornerbacks in the league. We know that he's, he should be considered that, but, you know, sort of universally recognized as that type of guy. And I, to me, the answer to that question, I, I say maybe, right. We've now had about five games where AJ Terrell has been asked to play that role. Uh, two of them went well, uh, in 2020 against the Vikings and Adam Thielen, this past year against Stefan Diggs, against Buffalo. Uh, three went poorly, uh, you know, but two of them came against Michael Thomas and Mike Evans. Keenan Allen doesn't necessarily fit the paradigm that I'm going for here. So I think when we look at the two games, the two guys that he matched up and played well against, Diggs and Thielen are more sort of the quick speed guys that are more known for the route running ability and separation ability, while Thomas and Evans are much bigger and much more physical receivers. And when we Add that to his Jamar Chase, the infamous Jamar Chase game in the national championship game. While we know Jamar Chase is both big and fast, um, I think Jamar Chase's game is more built around the physicality and necessarily being this quick, you know, separator type of guy. So the body of work kind of tells us that when AJ Terrell is asked to be that guy against sort of the quickness guys, he's good against the size guys that can get a little bit more physical with him. He's less effective. So that may play a part into the conversation moving forward. If we do see that develop with AJ Terrell, there may be specific matchups where you would say, okay, he can be the shadow corner against this guy. But in other matchups, you say, I don't know if this is the type of matchup that AJ Terrell is going to fare in. So we'll sort of see. And ultimately, you know, it's not that important to the success of the Falcons defense. Clearly, you know, he's performing at a high level, playing more, being parked on one side of the defense. And generally my rule of thumb is be the best of what, you know, do your job is essentially, and what he's asked to do, uh, he does at a extremely high level. But in terms of elevating his profile, where he's no longer going to be that Pro Bowl snub, uh, where, you know, people at large, if that's something that you're concerned about, um, probably needs to, you know, add more of these types of games to his resume where he does go against number one, because it's a similar conversation where if I ask you who's the best cornerback of the last decade, most people would probably say someone like Darrell Revis because he's specialized in, you know, being uh, that shadow corner. When I ask you who's the best cornerback in the league today, you know, at least outside the state of Georgia, most people would probably, even probably inside the state of Georgia, most people would probably say Jalen Ramsey because he's recognized of having that skill set to be able to take out number one wide receivers. And so from a sort of status standpoint, it, it matters. But I, again, I think ultimately at the end of the day, I don't really care if your status is to shut down number one guys or to sh- basically make the left side of the defense a no fly zone, which he did. As long as you do your job at a high level, I'm fine with however uh, the Falcons decide to deploy AJ Terrell, but certainly something worth uh, discussing in the future. 
But uh, let's move on to talk about uh, Fabian Moreau. I think Fabian Moreau had a solid year. Um, my, my good friend Kevin Knight of the Falcoholic, I think, puts it best. Like when you consider how much the Falcons paid for Fabian Moreau, which was not much, like a million dollars, I thought they got pretty good bang for their buck. My charting had his success rate in man coverage 49%, which is so slightly below average. His success rate in zone coverage was not good, which was 61%. Um, but most of his struggles in man coverage came in the red zone where his success rate against was 54%. If you just basically remove the red zone from the conversation, his success rate in man coverage was about 47%. So it's slightly above average uh, in terms of man coverage by league standards. Um, and, and then his zone cover skills, while bad, he did get better down the stretch. During that five-game stretch uh, after starting in that Panthers game, um, at the end of the season where the Falcons went to more of a zone heavier approach than they had been over the previous five games. Um, his success rate in zone coverage was about 44%. So much improved. So it does seem to indicate that he was getting a little bit more comfortable within the scheme at the end of the season. And I think that can sort of allow the Falcons to think that he's worth bringing back now that he's an unrestricted free agent. Obviously, I think it's going to depend heavily on price. What that price is, I don't know. I feel like up to around three, three and a half, maybe $4 million a year makes sense for what Fabian Moreau is going to bring you. So if the Falcons were to sign him to like a three-year, $10 million contract, that would be kind of ideal in my eyes because I think he can give you a plug-and-play starter that ideally you can find someone better, but you know that you can get at least a baseline of league average starting quarterback play uh, opposite A.J. Terrell, especially if he can play like he did at the end of the season in zone and play like he did uh, throughout the season uh, in, in man coverage. Um, the main issue with uh, Fabian Moreau, I'm sorry, is, you know, dealing with the penalties, right? He was tied with the league lead uh, alongside our boy Trev Trevon Diggs, everybody's favorite cornerback here in the state of Georgia, Trevon Diggs, uh, with a league-high 11 penalties this past year. So he needs to clean up that aspect of this game. But if he can, I think you can get functional starting play out of Fabian Rowe. You're not going to write home about him, but he can be solid for you at the right price. Uh, another impending free agent is Isaiah Oliver. We know that his season was ended due to an undisclosed knee injury. I'm assuming for the time being that it's an ACL tear, but I don't know. It could be more severe than that. It could be less severe than that. And obviously the severity of that knee injury could have an impact on his potential market, as well as what we can expect from him in 2022. But we'll just sort of have to wait and see if we get more information on that. Knowing how Arthur Smith and his coaching staff is, I doubt we will get that information at any point in time. But, you know, he played basically, he got injured against Washington. Uh, so we played basically like 3.25 games. Uh, and my charting had him 40% against man coverage, 30% against zone coverage. And that's a testament to, uh, Isaiah Oliver being one of the handful of players uh, in this Falcons team when we've done these positional reviews. We haven't mentioned too many guys that seem to blossom, whether we're talking about offense or defense, within the new schemes and under this new coaching staff. But Isaiah Oliver firmly fits into that category, playing at a really high level uh, for you know the three-plus games that he played um, this past year. And again, I think that if the Falcons do bring him back, it does inform us in the style of play that the Falcons want to play. Because I don't know if Isaiah Oliver, at this point in time in his career, is a guy that you really want to be this man-heavy nickel corner. You want him to be sort of that versatile zone-heavy guy that we saw the Falcons employing at the uh, first month of the season. But on a recent uh, Q&A, I think last Friday, a listener asked me sort of what his market would be. And I basically said, I think you could probably get him back on a one-year, one million, one and a half million dollar type of contract, that sort of prove-it deal, that if he can have a good season, show that he's recovered 
from the, the knee injury and can pick up where he left off uh, in that Washington game. Um, he, you know, he can have another crack at a long-term uh, lucrative contract. You know, the sort of premium uh, nickel cornerbacks are being paid like six, seven million dollars a year, and potentially the Falcons should theoretically have the cap space to to be able to pay him that type of money should he come off a good um, 2022 campaign. My concerns with Isaiah Oliver, besides the obvious of, you know, the health of his knee, um, but my main concern going into 2021 with Isaiah Oliver that wasn't necessarily settled uh, because he got injured before uh, we saw some of these matchups was whether or not uh, he would be able to handle some of the quicker more explosive slot receivers that the Falcons had on the schedule. Cause we know historically speaking, Isaiah Oliver's Achilles heel has been against speed, which is why he's been much more effective in the slot than he was as an outside corner. Um, and obviously those issues could be magnified now that he's coming off a knee injury, but we, we never really got to see him against the CeeDee Lambs and the Cole Beasley's and the Jalen Waddles, the types of slot uh, receivers that typically and historically have given him uh, problems. But, you know, the good thing for Isaiah Oliver coming back from this knee injury is it doesn't seem like, at least right now, that the Falcons have too many of those types of uh, slot receivers on their schedule in 2022. You got Cooper Cup, you got Rondale Moore, those types of quicker, more explosive guys. But outside of that, not too many guys. But I do wonder sort of if we do get to see Isaiah Lauer back in Atlanta going up against some of the other more, you know, bigger slot and premium slots like, you know, Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry, Tyler Boyd, those type of guys, how he handles those types of matchups moving forward. So that will be something to keep an eye on in 2022 should Oliver return. I, I do expect him to return, but we'll sort of have to see. Kendall Sheffield is a player that I do not expect to return. There's not a whole lot to say about Kendall Sheffield's 2021 season. He got very little action on defense. He was primarily a special teams player after missing most of the summer with an undisclosed injury. Um, and then his only real action was that Bills game. And he was fine in that game. Uh, and, you know, sort of coming off the benches, their third corner and being the outside guy. But historically speaking, Kendall Sheffield has struggled in zone coverage, and that's why I don't necessarily see him as a long-term fit in the Dean Pease scheme. So I imagine the Falcons, I'm expecting the Falcons to try and shop him at the beginning of the offseason and see if they can get a conditional late-round draft pick for him or maybe even make a player-for-player player swap for him. And if no one bites on that, then I do expect the Falcons to release him come March. And that either move, whether they trade or cut him, will save the team about $2.5 million cap space. And I think his value to the roster is limited because he doesn't necessarily be a scheme fit. He's not shown much development over the last three years that he's been in Atlanta, and his value on special teams doesn't overshadow guys like Avery Williams and Frank Darby as gunners and whatnot. So he seems to be pretty expendable at this time. Part of that is owed to Darren Hall. Um, we didn't see a lot of Darren Hall this past year until after, you know, I think the Cowboys game was his first extended look. And then thereafter, he was their primary nickel cornerback for the final eight weeks of the season. I think a lot of that was owed to them wanting to evaluate him to see if he could potentially replace Isaiah Oliver in a world where the Falcons do not resign Isaiah Oliver this offseason. I don't think Hall really did much to impress you during that time. He wasn't great during that span. My charting had him 45% uh, against man coverage, which is solid uh, to good. But he struggled in zone coverage, 63% 
when I charted him uh, in zone coverage. Uh, and if you're curious to compare him against the other cornerback that the Falcons use as the nickel cornerback or the other safety that the Falcons use as their nickel cornerback in the second half of the season on a more limited basis, Richie Grant was 44% against man coverage and 45% against zone. So about the same in man coverage, but significantly better in zone coverage. We'll talk more about Richie Grant uh, when we get to the safety review. But, you know, I, I don't necessarily look at Darren Hall as someone who's a candidate to replace Fabian Moreau. Should he walk in free agency? I do think he potentially is more of a candidate in the world where the Falcons don't uh, retain Isaiah Oliver. Uh, I just don't necessarily like Hall's skill set to play outside a player that he struggled against in his final year at San Diego State that was most recently in the Senior Bowl this past week. Uh, Nevada's Romeo Dobbs kind of exposed him uh, going up against a bigger, faster outside receiver. And I just think, you know, they're much better, you know, no offense to Romeo Dobbs, but there are much more guys that are better than Romeo Dobbs that play outside in this league. Uh, and so I, I don't see Hall, if he can't handle that matchup, then he's certainly not going to be able to handle Mike Evans or, or Michael Thomas or whoever else that you want to throw into the mix. He's certainly not Jamar Chase uh, when we face them. So, you know, I, I feel like Hall is kind of at a similar point in a similar role to Kendall Sheffield that has that sort of inside-outside versatility and can provide some depth for you moving forward. And I think this upcoming season um, is a pivotal year for Darren Hall uh, because he needs to show a big jump from year one to year two so that he can sort of solidify his spot long-term here that we didn't really see from Kendall Sheffield. Like, I think you can make the argument, I've made the argument in the past, that Kendall Sheffield kind of regressed from year one to year two uh, and didn't show that growth. And now he's in a position, as we just discussed, that may be, you know, out of Atlanta before his rookie contract even expires. So I think Darren Hall gives you a nice emergency option in the event that Isaiah Oliver, you know, doesn't return or uh, struggles to recover from that knee injury as a nickel cornerback, but also gives you some developmental upside uh, in the future if he can make that leap and still could be in the mix to be the long-term nickel cornerback in 2023 and beyond or whatever the case may be, depending on his season as well as Oliver's season. But I don't necessarily see him as a long-term fit as an outside corner, but in a pinch, I think you can probably plug and play with him there at that position. Uh, his fellow rookie in Avery Williams is the last guy that we'll talk about. He was the first man up when Oliver got injured because of his activation status due to his special teams prowess. Things did not go particularly well for him. He got hurt shortly after uh, and then kind of was just relegated to special teams uh, throughout the second half of the season. His only real extended opportunities uh, you know, in the second half of the season was against that Dallas team, and he struggled in that game. My charting had him uh, 88% success rate against in man coverage, which is pretty bad, uh, and 42% against zone. Um, and part of the reason why that man coverage – is so bad is because of the very rough night he had against CeeDee Lamb in that Dallas game. And if you remove that game from the sample, it's 60% against man. So still bad, but not as terrible as 88%. So uh, I think really right at this point in time, Avery Williams' future is on special teams. I think he's a decent emergency option in, in the event that you have multiple injuries at the nickel cornerback position. But I think his real value is going to come on special teams moving forward, and we can explore that further when we get to the special teams review probably next week. Uh, the last couple of corners that we'll talk about uh, before we get into the offseason talk that are also on the roster, D. Alford, the player that the Falcons picked up from the Canadian Football League, Lafayette, Panson, Cornell, Armstrong, guys that spent the year, uh, the end of the year on practice squad, and Corey Ballantyne was a guy that, you know, was a former Giants draft pick. Uh, and spent this past year primarily on the Lions, I believe, practice squad. Uh, and so those guys are in the mix. They, you know, will bring some competition in camp probably next summer. Maybe, you know, through the power of competition, one of those guys emerges as a roster spot. But I, I think really they're 
no, no, you know, no one likes to term camp bodies, but I think at this point in time, neither one, none of those guys are guys that you would, you know, peg as potential starting options for the Falcons, or at least theoretically, you would hope that the Falcons aren't looking to start any of those guys next season. So we'll see if any of those guys emerge and, and, you know, um, you know, come looking for me for calling them camp bodies or whatever, and then try to dunk on me or whatever the case may be, but we'll, we'll just sort of to see. So, uh, you know, if the Falcons are looking to upgrade their coverage ability, which we know that they are, uh, even though I don't necessarily think they're going to be a man-heavy defense, obviously they do need to get better play uh, in their man coverage than, say, Fabian Moreau or uh, Darren Hall or whoever the case may be. And uh, that will be somebody that they'll probably have to bring in from outside this offseason. And we'll look at some potential options to close out today's Lockdown Falcons episode. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug uh, the ongoing Super Week here uh, for the Lockdown Podcast Network, where various shows are in L.A. covering the big game this weekend. Of course, make sure you check out Lockdown Bengals and Lockdown Rams each and every day to get the lowdown on all the keys to this upcoming matchup. And of course, you can find those podcasts on the same podcast platform that you can find Lockdown Falcons, including on YouTube. So today's episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto. With ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer when you already have access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket? Save time and money when using Rock Auto instead of spending up to twice as much for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years with reliably low prices for every customer. They have everything you need for brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you do, write Locked On in the How Did You Hear us box uh so that they know we sent you rock auto amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com so uh when it comes to the falcons offseason plans at this cornerback position i'm not necessarily seeing a big splash in free agency i think this is a position um where the falcons will probably go similar to what they did last year which is go for more of a cheaper option and could wind up if they don't resign someone like Fabian Moreau could go with a similar type of player somebody that's you know uh looking for sort of a cheaper prove it contract looking for an opportunity to get more ex- extended playing time and improve themselves that they are a viable starter similar to what Fabian Moreau ultimately did sort of more of a stopgap option in that regard and you know in terms of options for that I have no idea um there aren't necessarily any guys that have strong coaching connections with this coaching staff that you would imagine the Falcons would sort of perceive as you know upgrades over Fabian Moreau in that regard so we'll just sort of have to see how that goes one name we could throw out there just because he kind of fits the same billing as Fabian Moreau, which is a guy that has the Kyle Smith connection from the front office. Kyle Smith, sort of our assistant general manager. Uh, you know, Kyle Smith was in Washington with the Commanders uh, organization for several years running their drafts. They drafted Fabian Moreau. They also drafted this other guy, which is Quentin Dunbar. Quentin Dunbar is currently a free agent because he was released by the Packers, I think, off of their practice squad at the end of last season. Uh, so he's the type of guy that, you know, again, just throwing out a name just to give you one example, but I have no idea who the Falcons would potentially sign at the quarterback position. So I think what's more likely um, to get more of that sort of solidified long-term piece is you would probably see the Falcons address the quarterback position early in the draft. And we've talked about this in the past where the tendency is that if you want to get a high-level outside corner, you kind of have to draft that guy in the first or second round because those are typically where the guys that can handle those, you know, high level 
you know, outside receivers, you know, the guys that won't absolutely get torched by the Jamar Chases and the Mike Evanses are typically valued that highly. But if you wait until the third and fourth round and then later, you can get guys um, that are more nickel cornerbacks or guys that are maybe a little bit more of those zone uh, first corners that may wind up fitting a little bit better in the Falcon scheme. And so, again, it goes back to the conversation we had about if you want to get better in man coverage, uh, you probably need to value that cornerback position a little bit early in the draft. But given the, sort of the propensity of the Falcons wanting to play a little bit of the zone, uh, maybe they can afford to wait a little bit longer and maybe be able to get their guy in, say, round three or four where you can get a guy that has more zone instincts, but at least maybe also checks the athleticism box that you want in a guy that has potential in man coverage. And again, I don't know who that player uh, could possibly be. I've only done homework on roughly nine cornerbacks in this upcoming draft class. Those would be Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, Trent McDuffie, Andrew Booth, Kair Elam, uh, Darion Kendrick, Roger McCreary, Kobe Bryant, and Kyler Gordon. Uh, and so there may be some guys that fit that bill as sort of third, uh, fourth round sort of targets that have that high in athleticism and upside. And we'll, I guess we'll find out the combine, uh, how those guys test and whatnot. But I, I haven't necessarily stumbled across that guy so far. But the one guy that kind of stands out to me in terms of the guy that kind of fits what I think the style of play that I think the Falcons want to play with is kind of Trent McDuffie. Uh, and so. We'll sort of have to see how his combine goes. I, I do expect McDuffie to be a top 20 pick when all is said and done, but I do feel like if he does test particularly well, we could start to see him climb up higher, um, you know, from being that sort of mid first round pick and it might be in the conversation for the Falcons at pick eight. And it kind of is reminiscent a little bit to me of the whole AJ Terrell situation where you go back two years ago, everybody sort of agreed that Jeff Okuda was this high-end cornerback talent and C.J. Henderson was another guy that had high-end skills and both of those guys were top 10 picks. And the Falcons, meanwhile, were like, well, we kind of like A.J. Terrell. Uh, and, and most people uh, back then were kind of like, oh, A.J. Terrell, that's a guy that got torched in the national championship game. He stinks or whatever the case may be. Um, and just Terrell kind of just fit the billing for what the Falcons want defensively. And I was one of those people that dismissed A.J. Terrell for four months uh, after the national championship game. Oh, he got torched. He stinks. Didn't watch him. Then a week before the draft, I finally got around to watching him. And I was like, oh, this guy fits perfectly in what the Falcons want at the cornerback position. And I used sort of that to compare to this year's group where you have guys like Sauce Gardner and Derek Steenley who are going to get a lot of the pub as the top corners in this draft and probably will be top 10 sort of picks. And um, some people think are top five sort of talents. Um, and then meanwhile, the Falcons are like, well, we kind of like Trent McDuffie. And again, I, I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that it's the exact same thing. I'm just saying, based off of my impression of how they want to play, like McDuffie seems to be more their style than Sauce or Stingley, who are both excellent corners. It's not a knock on those guys, but feel like perfect fits if you want to play that Wink Martindale, that press man, heavy style of defense. You want to play like the Patriots do or like the Ravens. Uh, did a year ago with, with Mar Marcus Peters and, and Marlon Humphrey. If you want to play that style of defense, those guys are great fits for that. You know, they can be that sort of Stephon Gilmore matchup against the number one shadow corner type of guy. I think they have that potential. But again, I don't know if that's really how the Falcons want to play. And they want a guy like McDuffie, who's tough, who's physical, who has a good feel for zone coverage and all these various things. And also, you know, 
seems to at least have the athleticism that he should be at least a pretty competent, if not very good, uh, man cover corner, similar to sort of A.J. Terrell in that regard. So that's why I'm making that comparison. So we'll just sort of have to see how it all plays out for the Falcons this offseason. Again, this cornerback position, unlike other positions where we've done these breakdowns, and I've sat here and said, oh, they could sign these four guys or they could draft these four guys or whatever the case may be. It's kind of a toss-up in the air. But I do expect the Falcons to try to add pieces to this unit, and I would bet that they're more likely to do that in the draft than they are in free agency. And if they do uh, spend money in free agency, it's more likely to be on guys, keeping guys like Fabian Moreau or Isaiah Oliver. But we'll see how it all plays out. Obviously, we'll have a lot more to talk about as we get to free agency in a couple of weeks. We'll have a lot more to talk about when we start doing mock draft Mondays uh, next Monday, which will be the first one of that. But, uh, you know, we still have some year-end positional reviews to do. We'll probably do the safety position, and then we'll kind of turn our attention um, to the Super Bowl and, and talk about this game and maybe some potential lessons that we can learn. We'll also have some opportunities to do some Q&A. We've got some leftover questions from last week. One in particular relating, uh, going back and revisiting the Falcons own Super Bowl, uh, you know, experience and whatnot. And we'll maybe get into that a little bit later in the week. If you want to provide your feedback to, uh, be answered on future Q and A's, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to lockdownfalcons at mail.com. And of course, you can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. Uh, and that will do it for us. Here today on Lockdown Falcons, I want to thank you guys for making it your first listen each and every day. And, you know, I always have recommendations for what your second listen should be. In addition to the local shows like Lockdown Braves, Lockdown Hawks, and Lockdown Bulldogs, why not check out the Lockdown Bets podcast where handicapping expert Lee Sterling is giving you his daily picks, his blowout specials, and his lock of the day. And, of course, I know Lee's going to have some great props for you all week long on the Lockdown Bets podcast that you can get in uh, for this big game this weekend. So, guys, I appreciate it. Till then.